Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Katie Martin. Today we're looking at Japanese tech company SoftBank, whose shares took a hit after agents of Saudi Arabia, its main funder, were accused of carrying out the gruesome murder of a Saudi journalist in Turkey. Malcolm Moore discusses what this means for the Japanese company with Kana Inagaki and Arash Masudi. Arash, how did SoftBank get so close to the Saudis? What's the roots of that relationship? Well, you have to take a step back and consider Masayoshi-san, who is the founder and chairman of SoftBank, which, by the way, is not a bank. It is some sort of constellation of technology and finance mixed under the umbrella of Masa's gregarious personality. And if you remember back in the summer of 2016, something the FT has covered very closely, he marched on a Brexit Britain and took basically the best UK technology company on the market, at least the most kind of innovative and interesting one that existed in this country, which was Arm. And he purchased that a couple weeks after Brexit for $32 billion. But if you follow SoftBank closely, you know that one of the things that's always plagued Masa is his ambition to do deals has always been met with the reality of the fact that he uses a lot of debt, and he's constantly indebted. His companies are indebted. He's always pushing the boundaries of how much debt he can hold. And so as they were looking for ways to finance the arm acquisition, his team became aware of pockets of money, particularly in the Gulf, that were interested in playing technology and had perhaps not the best avenues to pursuing that. And soon after the arm deal, a delegation from Saudi Arabia, which we described at the time as carrying 13 planes and 500 people, arrived in Tokyo in September 2016. And there was at the time a 31-year-old ruler or soon-to-be very important ruler, called Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia, who was the lead of that delegation. And he met Masayoshi-san in Tokyo, and it was a, to quote people familiar with that meeting, a marriage of minds, two very aggressive, very focused individuals, the combination of which led to this $100 billion vision fund, where six weeks after that first meeting, Mohammed bin Salman agrees to cut a $45 billion check to launch what is the largest ever technology investment fund. So it's not just pockets of money. I mean, that's just a huge amount of money. From the Saudi point of view, how does it fit with their strategy? The Saudis under Mohammed bin Salman have been taking what was their sleepy sovereign wealth fund, the public investment fund, and he specifically has made it his personal vehicle to reform the country's economy, diversify its holdings, and taking what was a sort of backwater of the Saudi economy and Saudi sort of state infrastructure, which had been heavily geared towards Saudi Aramco, the state oil giant, which spins off billions and billions of cash, which basically funds Saudi Arabia. He has basically seized control of the PIF and really subverted the existing system under something that he is orchestrating. That includes an IPO of Saudi Aramco, which he has failed to do so far but keeps talking about. It includes this check to SoftBank. And what predated this discussion with Masayoshi-san was the fact that the Saudis bought a $3.5 billion stake in Uber. And at the time, they bought it at a huge valuation. And the reaction to that was, wow, there is some new dumb money on the block. And so perhaps one conclusion we can draw is that by identifying Masayoshi-san and putting $45 billion into this tech investment fund, they have avenues to deals they couldn't have seen before, and they have someone who's more experienced in negotiating these deals. And, by the way, every time the SoftBank Vision Fund, as that fund is now known, does a deal, it doesn't say Saudi Arabia put money in this. It's this nice Japanese guy who's kind of intriguing and does stuff. It just happens to be backed by Saudi money. So it's in some way adding a layer of separation to what's actually going on. Until now, I guess. So, Kana, tell us more about the Vision Fund and 
what is the relationship between SoftBank and the Vision Fund and how is the Vision Fund going to evolve, do you think? Right. So, you know, like Arash explained last year, SoftBank created this 93 billion fund with a lot of money from Saudi Arabia. Basically, the idea behind this was that it allows Masayoshi Son to invest in promising technology companies across multiple industries without SoftBank itself having to manage the companies. And Masa's grand vision is he wants to sustain SoftBank's growth for another 300 years. He doesn't believe that the growth is sustainable with SoftBank being just a domestic telecoms company. So he wanted to transform SoftBank into a global investment powerhouse. And the Vision Fund was the way into this. And going forward, before the problems in Saudi Arabia occurred, he was very confident about the returns that the first Vision Fund was providing. And he was so confident that he often boasted that the second Vision Fund is on its way and, you know, with fresh Saudi money. So his idea is that they'll keep on creating these kind of funds every couple of years. And people have been skeptical how he's going to deploy that kind of huge amount of money. But from Masa's perspective, this was kind of like the vehicle for SoftBank to continue growing and growing. Okay, but now we've run into a bit of a roadblock, right? As Arash was saying, you know, one of the advantages of the Vision Fund for Saudi was that they could be slightly one step away from the investments they were making. Now, of course, with all of the furore over the disappearance of Jamal Khashoggi, where does that leave them? Now, every deal that the Vision Fund is going to make, presumably people are going to say, well, that's Saudi money. Right. So, I mean, obviously there is a reputational risk. And the question going forward from here is whether, first of all, the technology companies that Masa wants to invest in, whether they will accept Saudi money, and also whether other investors in the Vision Fund will be willing to continue investing in the fund. SoftBank made its first public comments on this case at a technology conference in San Jose. And Marcelo Clare, the SoftBank's chief operating officer, said that there is no certainty that SoftBank will be able to launch the Vision Fund 2. And so certainly the prospects for the Vision Fund going forward has become cloudy and the company itself has admitted to that in recent days. How much of a threat do you think it is to the Vision Fund? At this point now, I think the reputational risk is quite big. But we haven't seen any evidence yet that investors are pulling out or, you know, any of the companies are saying, oh, we don't want any of this Saudi tainted money. But investors are obviously very worried, which is why shares in SoftBank tanked quite heavily. And so we'll have to watch how this is going to play out. Surprisingly, though, the international pressure has been big. But inside Japan, the coverage on this whole development in Saudi Arabia hasn't been as thorough as it has been in the Western media. So Masayoshi Son hasn't actually been getting pressure from inside Japan that much. But I think it's really going to be a question about, you know, with all these technology executives distancing themselves from Saudi Arabia, that's where probably the pressure is going to come from. And that's why it's so worrying for the Vision Fund. Masayoshi-san is due to speak at the Saudi conference this week. Is there any sign that he might not attend? Well, for now, I mean, they haven't commented on this. And I guess for Masa, the ideal situation is probably if they can extend or delay the conference until the whole situation quiets down. I think it's a very tricky situation because Masa obviously doesn't want to anger the Saudis by pulling out of the conference. And so for now, he hasn't really said anything about it. But 
with the international pressure that we've been talking about, there's obviously a big reputational risk as well. So he's going to have to balance this decision. But I think he is waiting to see how this whole situation plays out. I spoke to several people in the SoftBank ecosystem, and one of them said to me, quote unquote, we are married to the Saudis. Right. And then sort of said, do you believe in divorce? That was the sort of follow-up. Right. $45 billion uh, is a big commitment. Yeah. And the thing to bear in mind is he strikes me as the kind of guy so relentlessly driven on whatever his vision is that he doesn't have a lot of time for politics or politicians and probably not a lot of time for ethics either. He's kind of character I think would overwhelmingly pursue his vision over anything else. And he's driven in a way that sometimes founders are. And where those ethical lines come into place, we've seen similar debates with Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg. When you have a sort of picture of what you're driving towards, perhaps you turn blinders on to things that the rest of the world is constantly thinking about. Mm -hmm. Now, Moss is clearly attuned to politics in certain ways. If you remember when Donald Trump was elected president, he was very quick in the Trump Tower talking about 50 billion of spending and all these new jobs in America. And that must have been, if you're a cynical, a calculation that he was going to try to merge his sprint with T-Mobile in a deal that would get intense regulatory scrutiny and is now sort of being passed through Washington with a heavy lobbying effort by Massa and his team. So clearly he gets politics in the sense that how can I make sure politicians are on my side? But does he really get international politics at this level or is he just thinking these guys cut me a big check and that's great because they have my back and therefore I have their back? Right. But as Connor was saying, you know, actually, this has been a huge, huge issue in the US and in the West. But there has been quite as much political pressure in, say, China or Japan or elsewhere. Let's take the Saudi side of the Vision Fund out of it. What about the other investors in the Vision Fund? How are they feeling at the moment? And what do you think their reaction is going to be? Well, it's important to bear this in mind. The Vision Fund actually isn't some great success of diversified fundraising. It was $45 billion of Saudi money. It was $15 billion of Abu Dhabi's money. And if you know anything about the Gulf these days, there is a very, very close alliance between Mohammed bin Salman and Mohammed bin Zayed, MBZ and MBS, mm-hmm. as they're known. And these two gentlemen are pursuing a very ultra-capitalistic, modern view of the world. And they're driving that through everything from the politics to the business of that society. It's partly driven by a sort of commercial need to diversify their economies and change their economies. But it's also fundamentally driven by a view that political Islam and the Muslim Brotherhood are evil things that must be expunged from the Gulf. And it's like fundamentally threatens their monarchies, if you will. And so... These two men are very aligned, and that's $60 billion of the Vision Fund's money. The other $28 billion comes from SoftBank, so that's $88 billion. So that just leaves $5 billion, which is sort of in the size of this fund, actually chump change from the Apple and Qualcomm's of the world who are in there. And they've been very silent. They haven't said a word about how they feel about that. And they've been silent LPs throughout this process of the Vision Fund spending its money. So it's sort of one of these things where... Of the $93 billion in the Vision Fund, 88 are SoftBank, Abu Dhabi, and Saudi. If you know that, then you know where they sit. Right. Okay, thank you very much. That was Malcolm Moore talking to Kana Inagaki and Arash Masoudi. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another news feature tomorrow. In the meantime, look out for our brand new news headline show called FT News Briefing, which you can find on all the usual podcast platforms and at ft.com slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corian provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.